Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 195. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute something to every issue of Freaky, so please check it out. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video games, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-off, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980s series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I'm currently working on articles about Nightmare, the Galloping Ghost, and the Harvey Comics superheroes for Back Issue and Alter Ego, respectively. My Mad Book is being proofread, and my second Disney book is almost done, and I am currently working on TV cartoons that time forgot. Be sure to buy my latest books, the TTV Scrapbook and the Pac-Man Book. On today's show, we have two returning guests, one is here to talk about his new two-volume set on cartoon voices, and the other is an animation expert who writes for Jerry Beck's cartoon research. Here they are, Keith Scott and Camden Spees. 
Hi, this is Mark Arnold with yet another Fun Ideas podcast, and today I have two special guests. They've both been on before, but uh, this time it's to promote some new books and some toys. <laughs> um, I got uh, uh, voice artist and announcer and uh, book author Keith Scott. And, hey, Mark, uh, how are you? Oh, good. How are you? <laughs> I'm just fine. And All the way from down under. Yeah, he's. <laughs> the magic, uh, he, I'm in Oregon, <laughs> and you're in, where are you in Australia? Uh, in Sydney, on the Sydney. on the east okay. coast, facing your west coast. So, Got it. Uh, hi. <laughs> and you're in Alabama, right, Camden? Yep. Boy, and, this is uh, this is all over the map. And then we have animation historian and collector of fine toys, <laughs> Camden Spees. <laughs> Wait, do that again. Play it again. Yeah. Ah. Whoa, beanie boy. <laughs> yes, this guy talks. He still talks. I I beat Tim Hollis because his doesn't talk. Uh, <laughs> I've had an opportunity to buy one of those before. I just never have done it. I you know, and I don't remember if the one I've seen because I know it's still there, and I think it's because it's a bit pricey. No, um, this guy I talks, think it talks too. And this guy oh. I got for a steal for about two dollars at a flea market. Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> let's see i have a talking bugs bunny not with me and i have a talking yogi bear <laughs> are these all one, are these all this one was not cheap are, are these all recent purchases these are purchases within the past um week and There's... is that like a like a modern um reproduction or is it a vintage piece that you've got there yeah, no, this is the real lunchbox. Yeah, it looks original, so that's from like ah, nice. 1960, 61. Yeah. yeah, this was the one that was not cheap. Yeah. Yes, I can I imagine. Would I that bet. have a date on it somewhere, like copyright 1961? 61, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Very <laughs> nice. I, I just love that even the sides of it are great. Yeah. Is there a thermos or is it just the box? Yes, I actually uh, had the thermos before. <laughs> I had the thermos before this. Oh, cool. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I never, I never was someone who got all the merch in, in whenever I visited America because it, it would simply make my luggage count home. So wait, so much too. Yeah, there yeah. is, there's, yeah. yeah. My my parents can attest to that. <laughs> whenever I'm whenever I'm traveling, I'm in antique stores buying stuff. Right, I like right. the thing or, behind you there, behind the uh, at the back of the wall there uh, that that contains yeah. all the books. You showed, that, I think, on, that on is Facebook. A, yeah. That is a journey and a story <laughs> that I think I've told on this podcast before, Mark. That's fine. Right. Yeah. Finding, getting that, getting that. Did that you get in another there. state or something? Didn't it, Yeah. It, getting yeah. that rack there yeah. involved a, a it, sitting in the back of a Greyhound bus by itself from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Baton Rouge, <laughs> Louisiana. Amazing. <laughs> they some, didn't get some stolen. Poor collector damaged. got off the bus and forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like apparently it was like my grandfather drove drove with it. It was like sitting in the back of the bus, like not the back of the bus, but the trunk of the bus box. And it's still nothing, no, no, no harm to it whatsoever. Huh. Wow. Leaning up. It was, apparently it was wrapped in pillows and everything, I guess, which right. I'm like, okay. It was I just got lucky for who drove the bus. It was meant to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and now it's in Birmingham, so it's traveled a bit. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that rat could talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. So 
I guess with Keith, the, let's start off with the purpose of you being here, besides being sure. a great pal, sure. friend, and everything. So you have not one, but two brand new books. <laughs> How did yes, this yes. manage to become? Was this always designed to be two? No, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> but um, once once they um, did the typesetting, um, Ben suddenly emailed me, the publisher Ben Omart, for, mm-hmm. for your listeners, um, the, with a panic, it was something I think that only people in his line of work uh, in the publishing field get the technicalities of it. But the uh, it was either the printer or the distributor who said, you know what, this book's going to be quite thick and it would be easier to put it out in two. And fortunately, the minute he said that, it just popped into my head. Well, why don't we just cut the filmographies off the end of the book and make that the reference book? And and apparently that he said he could still have done it as a single volume, but uh, there would have been some sort of problem that I do not understand. Yeah. Well, let's see, how many pages is this? So the larger one is a little over 500. Right, and the smaller one is a little over three hundred. Well, yeah, I know getting... from talking with Ben before because I did a two-volume cracked set that after oh, you, right, right. after you get much over five hundred pages, uh, mm-hmm. it's really hard to manage and maintain the spine because yeah. you know, you know, right. and the hardbacks right. probably are more durable, which is probably one reason yeah. why I got them. Uh, but well, I'm yeah, getting I, so old, it's hard to maintain my spine. As, as, as a librarianship master is soon to be, master right. degree soon to be, um, the um, the book spines, my my, the I work at a public library. It drives them all nuts because I'm always bringing broken books. They're like, "Why do you keep bringing oh, yeah, these?" Course. And they're like, yeah. "They're like, if you don't, I'm like, if you don't want the pages with the Harry Potter books blanket sprinkled all over the floor." <laughs> then you're going to let let me bring them to you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was so you a hear Alan, Alan Rickman saying, turn that into two books immediately, young Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I should just have you answer every question in, different, <laughs> in a different voice. <laughs> so it was actually a wise choice. And uh, the, uh, the odd part is, and I think I told you this separately, the second volume is my favorite volume. Hi, well, yeah, you're, you're probably that sort of mind like me. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the first volume. It's just right. that if if I had this and mm. Jerry Beck and Will Friedwald's Looney Tunes right. book, yeah, when that one came out, sure. I'd be like, I'd have all the voices memorized in my head, yeah. you know. It's well, like, oh, this person know, did this, and this, you know. But it's like, I never knew half of them. I mean... Uh, the obvious ones I knew, I knew like uh, Stan Freeberg, June Frey, sure, yeah. and Adarit, but you know, it's like um, the one, and it may be elsewhere. Camden will probably say, well, it's been on cartoon research for 10 years. I don't know. Um, but I never knew the voice of Al Jolson in uh, I, I Want to Sing It, or what, what is it called? Oh, uh, Al, little Al Jolson. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh, it was yeah. Tommy Bond who was in the Little Rascals Our Gang films, right. and I go, yeah. That's of course it is, but how would yeah. I know? It just sounded like a kid's voice. It could have been well, anybody. Yeah, and, and also he, <laughs> I didn't he, know about Bernice Hansen's name Hansel. for Hansel. Hansel, yeah. Yeah, and apparently that had been miscorrected, mis- miscredited for years. Yeah, in fact, I think it was Ru- Rudolf Ising himself and Bob Clampett, who usually had the best memory in the whole business, who um, I think just mistakenly called it Hansen, and that that's how it was passed down from you know, Jerry's first ever Warner Brothers book in 81. And um, and then in 
when in the Disney archives, uh, there was an English researcher that I know called Graham Webb, and he saw it was it was listed as Hansel, and it was in like handwriting, not 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 typewriting. So we thought, oh, maybe it's just uh, the way it looks. But then Tex Avery, there was a transcript of him at one of the Asifas where he won an award back in 74. And he actually can be heard saying of all of the voices that he used, uh, Bernice Hansel with the L. So uh, it it was just one of those tiny little things that had to finally uh, be corrected, you know. Yeah, I remember I found out that first, I think both on your book and then I was reminded because Yelp did a article did, about that similar that's right. And then Eric Costello did one recently where he found a, a similar information, but the newspaper finally had a picture of her and it was like an author's nightmare. It's like it comes out after the book's published. <laughs> so, you know, and we all, we have all suffered from that. But, uh, you know, uh, just before we go on, you're talking about volume two. Um, the minute it was published and in my hands, <laughs> and I had a message from Jerry Beck the next day, which made me, you know, sort of like shiver because I'd thought of the same thing 24 hours before it needs an index too. And it's going to make it another hundred pages, at least even if it's in three columns, because it's going to have an index to the actors names in the filmography, as well as all the titles of each cartoon from each studio. And that's, I mean, if you look at the end of the 89 book he did with Will Friedwald, just the Warner Brothers titles in alphabetical order in the index alone is <laughs> is a, yeah. a task. So like... I've already started. I've done the UPA and the MGM <laughs> list so far. Okay. Yeah, it's done a <laughs> tiny, I, yeah, tiny type. A, <laughs> it'll it'll be in small type. Yeah. There was one studio that I was a little shocked that wasn't even in the book. Mm -hmm. The Van Buren studio. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I, there was a real obvious reason for that in my mind is, is the fact that, first of all, I, I think it ended in... I think 1935, and and that was the hardest period, 30 to 35, of all the studios to find any paperwork. And then I figured that because um, our friend um, Hal Erickson had recently done a book about Van Buren Studio itself, which I still don't have. Um, Actually, I'm pretty sure. Good. Yeah. Yes, I, I finally it. got it. <laughs> so, well, I... <laughs> yeah, I want to get it I, because I loved his his two volume work uh, about TV cartoons. You know, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, that was a, yet another one that uh, I wanted to fly. Maybe in the year before I was published to um, New York's Billy Rose Theatre Collection because I think uh, that's one of the great libraries in in the US for showbiz history. And, um, and also, of course, being in New York, it would be the logical one to have stuff on these studios. But then COVID hit, so I wasn't allowed to travel for two and a half years. So I thought, and a few people, even Thad, people like that had told me, publish what you've got and tell them what's happened and say that, you know, further down the track, there'll be four, you know, more research done, which of course is uh, already happening with the index to the filmography and things like that. So and and then Jerry Beck recently wrote me a thing. He said, you know, it's almost like my first edition of the Warner Brothers cartoons before we did the uh, 1989 follow-up. He said that was one that we just knew would attract a lot of information over the next couple of years, and it's already happening. And uh, he said, so when you do your revised one, that will be the ultimate, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I still can't... have my doubts that there'll be much on the Van Buren Studio yeah. just in terms of paperwork on voices. Did Most of the like, info. Um, I... Sorry, voice, sorry? Like, did you use like the track sheet sometimes of the voice actors? Because like I was just at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library for a mm -hmm. capstone I'm writing on cartoon art preservation. And I was looking at all these 
these track sheets from the Colum the the Mint Studio. Mm -hmm. Um, and track, one of the track things, sheets. Yeah, like the track sheets of the animators kind of thing. Oh, oh you mean like yeah, I, I like the drafts. Yeah. yeah, the drafts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, did and I noticed that sometimes they would have the voices labeled on it. Not rarely, but yeah. I think for that like a particular example, they did because what happened was they had all these things from Benjamin Harrison, the animator at Mintz, mm -hmm. his studio, apparently when Mort Walker had her, his cartoon art museum, they had donated, right. his widow had donated everything. Mm -hmm. So they had all these photos and stuff like that. And there was, it was, and one of the things they had was just like a track sheet of scripts, mm -hmm. scripts from the voices. And they would just say, so they would just write initials or something. Oh, if you ever find that all the actors or the animators could be the animator but uh, to be most unusual but it could be possible that it could be some of the actors uh because i found similar stuff to that in the walter lance collection at U ucla years ago but it was very scattered you know yeah. for every for every 10 cartoons only one of them might have voice information and uh, it was usually in pencil and it was like a confirmation that the actor had been hired and turned up mm -hmm. that day that kind uh, of but thing that's what it was yeah, well, if you if you if you know anyone who could help me, uh, if they do find any voices with those nineteen um, thirties mints things, uh, I would be um, perfectly willing to uh, um, either you know pay them a fee for photocopying them or whatever you know. But uh, it would be uh, it wonderful. Was, it was one of the early ones. It was like they had everything possible from the Crazy Cat, the Jazz Fool, where they had all right. the storyboards. <laughs> Yes, yes. They had all the story, and then they had all the the draft sheets for the animators and everything. Oh, great, great. Yeah, that's well, that's that's a, a real find then, because uh, I think uh, was it Devin Baxter who did one Columbia cartoon so far, or, or he did a piece about Ben Harrison mm -hmm. uh, it, that obviously must have tapped into that that great big find. I, yeah, I told I told Ben I told Devin about it. I just I right. messaged him just right. the other day about it. Mm -hmm. Ah, oh, okay, great. Well, certainly, um, uh, I'll keep in touch with you, but I'd love to get in touch with whoever yeah, the is. Problem the problem with Ohio State, though, is like, like a lot of archives, you have to be there, they don't let you scan something. Oh, this is Ohio. I thought you meant a private collector, right? No, right. No, so, this is Ohio, Ohio State, State, U, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. but you can't, yes. copy, you can copy it, right? You just no, have to, they do have it to usually, they, they want you to be there, but can right. you photocopy it there and take your copy with you, or no? Yeah, you can. Okay. Well, at least they have that. I mean, if you ever yeah, that'd be like a couple of libraries where I've worked in, in the states because um, some of them uh, have a policy where, yeah. for a fee, they will um, either f copy them onto an iPhone and send them to you, or they'll they'll do photocopies for you. Um, right. Like researchers who work at those universities are paid, or, or, or um, yeah. I think they get a, a slight pittance, but but then it's up to the researchers, such as yourself or me, to say, all right. Um, for 90 bucks, if there's, if it'd be like a dollar a page or something, whatever it is. <laughs> I know I've done that with a lot of the old time radio research that I've done. Yeah. So I'm sure it'd be the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it's more of anything that's not, anything that's copyrighted, they mm -hmm. make you go there to scan. Oh, and I see. Right. The things yeah. that are not like, you know, if you wanted scans from Richard Outcult's Yellow Kid, that's not going to cost them anything. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you've, you've seen in the, in volume one of my book, uh, some of those, um, talent requisitions from the uh, Warner Brothers collection that I reproduced um, 
in the in the middle photographic sections. That's the sort of thing I found at Warner Brothers that that had voice information. But that was in the forties where uh, the records were kept better. So to find anything from the nineteen thirties is a real find. Right. Yeah. But I think you know. Again, it's like the book comes out, and suddenly I hear that. Um, there's finally stuff that's being discovered from the Fleischer collection, which uh, up until then, um, and it is true that it actually happened, that Paramount did wipe out a lot of Max Fleischer's own personal um, collection of records. Mm -hmm. But that makes me think there must have been duplicates because Paramount would have had copies of stuff too, you know, yeah. like uh, talent requisitions and sound the sound department reports were just something they, they wrote on, on these form sheets every day back in the day. Yeah. I, and so much was, of that stuff just seems to have disappeared into the ether. I was, um, I've been writing my capstone on cartoon art preservation mm -hmm. right, for my college capstone paper. So, right. and um, one of the things that you've noticed about animation studios is, with the exception of the one studio that kept everything, was Chuck Jones's later studio uh -huh. that he did right. at MGM. He kept everything, every right. art piece, everything, which is great because you can go to the as bad as those Tom and Jerry cartoons are. The fact that you can have full-fledged, complete storyboards of them with their yes. boards and the side intact is pretty great. Yeah, that but, is great. Um, and you can see them at like the Academy, and they're really well preserved and everything. Mm -hmm. So, but the problem is, what like Warner Brothers, they had fought, they had that fire. And Hannah Barbera, Scott Shaw told me that they would just bring dump trucks, just dump trucks. So somewhere out there, there's probably a landfill of animation cells, <laughs> yes. landfill of animation cells just sitting there. <laughs> Well, and the, and the big pity is that Earl Crest passed away so young, and he was the one who had access right. to the real yeah. Hanna-Barbera archives and and new new stuff, you know, like right. Uh, right, it's in this big salt mine in Kansas or wherever it was, I forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a problem. Like like I found partial information of these sorts of records for Warner Brothers, MGM, UPA, and uh, and Walter Lance. And of course, the Disney archives, you know, which is yeah. a different story because they were they had a policy from around about the mid '30s. I think they're pretty good. Um, so a lot of voice stuff is still spotty, but even as I say in the book, the the late Dave Smith, who invented the Walt Disney archives, was kind of red faced about that, saying, "Yeah, some of our voice records are still a bit patchy," you know. Uh, but I think I think you know. I'm always I'm age. always amazed when Disney doesn't have something, mm, considering yeah. how thorough they were for the longest period of time. Yeah. I know that um, Clampett, um, Ruth Clampett told me a story that did that Bob, because Bob was a huge collector of stuff. Oh, yeah. Pack rat. Yeah. Yeah. So he had that Mickey. I don't know. You met Clampett, didn't you, Keith? I never did. I met his wife, Sody. Uh, but um, Ruth told me that they had, he had this Mickey Mouse poster that Disney didn't have. Uh, and Dave Smith offered him like a lot of money. And he wow. said no. And it was like, <laughs> enough money to where he could buy whatever he wants and more. Mm. And he said, absolutely not. But I have a question. So it says 30 to 1970. One of the surprising mm. things I saw was that you wouldn't have like, you know, the cartoons that featured the same voices pretty much like the Hanna-Barbera stuff. Did you ever planned on doing something like that? The early HB stuff, like the, like, well, I mean, my the book you're holding there is yeah. is pretty much similar to what Leonard uh, did with uh, of mice and magic. It's it's it was a dedicated to the theatrical cartoons only. And to me, not only did Hal Erickson do a good chapter on on 
voices in animation for his two volume set about TV cartoons. Um, but I, I um, had toyed with the idea of doing, see, I, then it would be repeating a lot of information that was in my first book of the moose that roared, you know, with that filmography yeah. of all of the Jay Ward stuff. And, um, and again, I, I uh, think really they, <laughs> TV cartoons to me are just like a, a different animal in one sense, you know? Um, so I, that was my intention to just do this, and dedicate it to the theatrical era, which kind of had that cutoff point. I mean, they're, they're, they're approximate. Really, it goes from 1928 to, say, 72, you know. Right. I could yeah. put it in my book that I'm working <laughs> on. I didn't tell you about this one. So I'm working on it. Uh, it's uh, TV cartoons that time forgot. Yeah. And yeah. Jerry Beck. Jer I was the one I was the one that begged him to write it that basically like chip <laughs> like put a chisel on his neck to write it. Well, I didn't want to. Well, I was in the middle of the mad book, but right, uh now yeah. that that's kind of ending and almost being published, right. uh my brain is like free to think of other ideas and concepts yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it, it was uh, you know the overly mentioned Jerry Beck that said, you know, you know, why don't we do a website on this? And it's like, I don't have time to do a website on this <laughs> Facebook and stuff, you know, and he got me to do it. And then right. I started working on the book. Uh, I, I unfortunately got a uh, respiratory ailment, not COVID in the last couple of weeks. So I haven't been working yeah, I mean, on it. Said, yeah. I yeah. haven't been working on it for the last couple of weeks, but um, sounds like you're over it though. Cause your voice sounds healthy. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, I only did one show when I was in the height of my sickness and it's a very mm. short show and you know, not, it's not like right. I'm gasping, but you know, yeah, I, I, I feel miserable anyway, right. <laughs> but that one's right. in the past and we're, we're here <laughs> and I'm doing fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of separated it out. I'm trying to use a mice and magic as the uh, template for the TV cartoons. I'm not covering right. every studio. Like, for example, I'm not covering Jay Ward except for just cursory mentions only because yeah. you covered it. Why Why do I need to recover it? So, And I'm not covering Hanna-Barbera. I'm not covering Filmation. So it's all the smaller studios that oh, probably right. never right. will get a book unless somebody's really like, I need to make the book about Hal Seeger. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh -huh. you know, I need to make the book about uh, right. you know, uh, TV spots. What? Which one? Fred Crippen. Yeah, Fred Crippen, Fred you know, Crippen, and it's yeah. like, uh, well, and he wasn't, wasn't he also to do with Roger Ramjet? Yeah. 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 Which is one of the classic TV cartoons of so, all time. Yeah. So but it's I mean, in, um, did you ever get the old, um, just interrupting you for a second, the old little tiny journal called Mind Rot, which became Animania? Yes. In yeah, fact, yeah, I gave okay, Camden cause... one for yeah, free. You never saw one before. Oh. And I oh, had they're two... great. I, yeah. got, I had two copies of it because I think it was yeah. Dave Maroos that actually sent me a second copy. And I said, oh, okay. I know so somebody Crusader who would like this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That was the Crusader Rabbit issue? You yes, were just yeah. Up? And that yeah. was the first one I ever got was that oh, one. Oh, okay. And it's, I've um, since gone back and gotten most of the earlier oh, issues. Oh, good. Because so, there is a very good Hal Seeger interview. Yeah, I got one that one. Yep. Yeah, In fact, good. I yeah, quote yeah. from it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. The only thing I'm upset about that is like, I go, Jerry... You didn't ask about such and such, but you can't go back, you know. And it's like, yeah, and, you know. and I kept bothering Mark, and I'm like, and I'm like throwing out these weird, obscure TV studios that Strom Pats is sending me. Yeah. Yep. And like, and I'm like, I'm like, what about Top Cell? What about various random small <laughs> studios? And he's yeah. like, all right, all right, yeah. stop. 
All right. I, I, I had to cut it down. I, I mean, it's oh, like, yes. I'm sure even on theatricals, yes. I'm sure Jerry Beck and Leonard Malton had the discussion way back when, should we yes. put a chapter about David Hand? Should we do a chapter about, yes. you know, yes. uh, uh, John, uh, what's Sutherland. his face? Sutherland, you know, should we do yes. it? You know, and they said, no, well, no, even, no, even no. Even the Patty, the Patty yeah. Freeling too, because yeah. uh, I, I didn't, apart from that sidebar, I didn't put, their filmography in that because jerry had done a, a pretty good filmography of the studio in his pink panther book yeah uh, which i think preceded your one yeah and yeah. um and then you uh, gave me thanks for mine thank you very much oh yes of course, of course. <laughs> in fact uh, i i loved rereading uh, your, yours was very convenient because it, it lumped a whole bunch of interviews together in one easy source you know rather than go hunting in old drawers and files yeah. and things but uh no there was you know even in my book because um i i kicking myself now that I left out the John Sutherland studio in the appendix where I had uh, the Republic cartoon, you know, the um, it's a grand old nag. And uh, because I, again, I found with John Sutherland stuff for, from the late forties, he, he used a lot of radio actors that were never in other animation and they really should have been like that's, Joe Kearns. That's where um, Bill Scott first did his voice according to Amber's documentary. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, also he did uh, that one at the um, first motion picture unit in the war, yeah. uh, pos position firing the, the little, I think it was a little Japanese enemy character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Sutherland was where Bill Scott did all those scripts and things. But uh, that was me who wrote that early... Sutherland part of Amber's documentary. That was. Uh, <laughs> that was the hard. That was supposed to be a lot one. longer. That was supposed to be a lot longer. They had to cut pieces of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, it, again, you know, I, I wish I wish some of those Sutherland cartoons could be re, uh, restored because they've got great yeah. animation and they use Frank Nelson from the Jack Benny show and, and great voices like that in, in almost every one of them. Mm -hmm. Plus a few of the regulars like, you know, Pinto Kolbig and that. But um, they're kind of under underappreciated, I think, even though they're, they're all to do with big business. They're very good cartoons. Yeah. Mark? I don't know if you know this, but Mark actually tried to make a tried to get a Southern book made, but they turned it right. down. Yeah, uh, maybe I could talk to Ben again because he's the one I offered it to. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> but that's, uh, instead, I did the crack book. That's what happened uh, at that right. time. <laughs> but um, there is a, a lengthy Sutherland article if you haven't seen it in an old issue of Hogan's Alley. So yes, I no, I have that one. Yeah, I don't remember which good. issue it's in, but, um, yeah, and unfortunately, it, yeah. and I, you know, I don't know if he's passed or anything, but you know, I, I was in contact with his son at the time and, right. uh, you know, he gave me all this great information, which I still have copies of, but, right. uh, and not, so not everything got in the book, but I lost track yeah. of where he was. So it's like, you know, but that's also been 15 years ago. So who knows? Yes. You know, who knows? Yeah. Well, if you ever do find any little uh, records of the voice credits for those Harding College ones, uh, oh. let me know because <laughs> Yalp and myself know most of the voices, but there's about two that, that are totally stumping us. It's like some on-screen actor or somebody who wasn't a voice man, you know. Do you have, um, Keith, do you have, I have, uh, Mark knows I have all of them. I'll continue to have all of them. But do you have Steve Stanchfield's Mid-Century Modern Blu-ray? Yeah, uh, I have the first, well, I have two volumes one and two, and I yes. think there's been another one since, hasn't there? They're, they're gonna, they're, it's in the making. I know oh, that good. because I've already right. pre ordered it. Yeah, I love, um, I love them, and yeah, they look but, good uh, on them. Yeah, those are those are the best restorations of. Mm. I think if you have every Thunderbean Blu ray or DVD, you can right. you can pretty much fill out most of the Sutherland. 
Yes, like the, snaf the Snafu Blu-ray is great, and so is the Willy Whopper one. There's mm -hmm. a couple I still have to get, and I'm really waiting for the Flip of the Frogs, only because it, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be the ultimate word, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay, so, so Keith, I have a couple questions on the book. Sure, uh, yeah. Um, what was the hardest voice uh, out of everything in the book that was hardest to nail down or track down? In your opinion, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe it was um, in the early days when we were Hames Ware, the late Hames Ware, and I were researching. Uh, it was Kent Rogers because not only did he die very young in World War II, but he'd done so much in such a short time, and there was literally nothing about him until <laughs> the age of the internet and being able to source little tiny items in newspapers became a thing. But in the '90s, when we were doing all of this. It really was about a two-year process of elimination using our ears and a couple of radio appearances, and it was like, but if you listen to the quality in this in this character in um, you know the two uh, bats, uh, uh, oh, I can't even think of the title, the MGM cartoon, Bats in the Belfry, yeah, um, and it sounds exactly like this narration at the opening of this Tex Avery cartoon, and finally we were able to uh, just record audio of just the Kent Rogers voices that were mysteries to us, and. And then when he produced his letter that Bob Clampett had sent him years before where he said, uh, I used Kent Rogers as the voice of Horton the Elephant, and he finally found that and said, this has been sitting in my house for two years and I didn't even know it. And, of course, that, that quality where he said, uh, I did what I said. And, and then suddenly it was like, wow, that is the same guy doing all these voices and for Walter Lance and all of this. And then later on it was confirmed uh, in the early 2000s when um, – Bob Miller and a couple of guys started trawling, trawling through newspapers and that around the same time Yelp appeared, you know, and he's a great trawler. I'm not. And, um, and it was the best part about it was our ears had proved to be 100% accurate in that instance, because sometimes that, that can prove inaccurate, you know, and it sounds like some other person with the same voice quality, but uh, each one of them proved to be confirmed like he was the voice of Woody Woodpecker sped up after yeah. Mel Blanc yeah. left for Warner Brothers. How would they have confirmed the Bugs Hardaway thing that when he did it though, because did anybody know what he even sounded like? Well, if you, if you play those tracks slowly, yeah. um, if, if like mechanically slow them down, you will hear um, once he takes over that that's why he, um, when it's sped up, it does sound like that funny sort of delivery, like that. You know, all the words are... So it's like, when you hear it's like, oh, look at this. I think I'll go inside. <laughs> because I think he was he was directed, not being an actor, he was directed to just do it bit by bit and we'll speed it up, like not double speed, but triple speed the voice. And it's going to sound like a zany cartoon character. By the way, so anyway, I... the there there is a Mike Barrier um, transcript that I had read uh, where he interviewed Walter Lance and and Lance simply confirmed um, it, that Bugs Hardaway took over in on, on the Barber of Seville. I think that Bugs Hardaway's son is still around, by the way. Wow. Mm. I think so. Yeah, he's another son... one that uh, the, the original guy, Hardaway, would have been a fascinating person to interview, but he died in 57 and he would have had so many stories of the earliest days. He, um, either his son or his grandson. Right. But... He, could be a grand there was some him. interview online of someone doing a public speaking and he's just, and it's the last name of hardaway 
but I was doing research because I'm I'm like Yelp very much mm-hmm. in researching because I take about six months to write one thing because I'm, <laughs> well I'm I'm slow in that sense yeah I'm very yeah, slow because I'm deep diving the research where I'm having 17 interviews for just a simple end of the year capstone paper and i'm like you don't need to do this like yes i do (laughs) well if you like that that's great because it's also it's a a safety thing too because you can then get various opinions and really arrive at Mm -hmm, the truth exactly yeah a lot um, of memories can be colored too you know but when i was looking at something for like my next cartoon research article i pulled up and i just randomly came across an interview i guess with someone with the last name hardaway and he says my dad created my dad or grandson created bugs bunny and it was like in 2018 when it was made. So yes. he's still around, probably. Yeah, and all that authorship about who created Bugs Bunny because I think he was the most popular cartoon theatrical character of all time. And each one of them has an, a, a kernel of truth in it. Each one right. of them were. But but then the person who I'd love to have interviewed was Rich Hogan, who's the, the story man credited on Elmer's Candid Camera and A Wild Hair and all of Tex Avery's first 10 MGM cartoons. And he died years before. And I think, I think um, he had a lot of, of uh, input that we still don't really know about, you know? I think, though, that Charlie Sorson, if you have his book, the book on him, Cartoon Yes, I do, Charlie. yeah, yeah. There is a little bit of that and that made me just go, huh? Yeah. Because I know that they credited him with creating Droopy. Mm. The story went that I told Mark this on his podcast when we did it with Strum, where he lent the design to Avery while he was at MGM. When MG when and he was at MGM from like 36 to 39. Right. Yeah. Before Avery was there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the idea that he'd let that design to Avery seems really off. I think yeah, there's a, there's a lot of the the um, the guy, the academic guy who wrote that Thorson book. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, kind of willed a lot of stuff into uh, Charlie Thorson. I think Charlie Thorson had a lot of talent, right. but I, I again I think uh, he was a model person and a designer who um, like everyone else had a tiny bit of authorship in what right. became Bugs Bunny. But, you know, the fact is that uh, to me, the most interesting thing about Bugs Bunny um, that's emerged in the last few years is that that um, motion picture Herald review of, of Harem Scarum, where it was proved that he was named officially Bugs Bunny in the trades, but not right. by the public for about at least another year. Um, so, uh, you know... Yeah. It's so difficult to go back into the mists of time and everyone's memory is very selective about what they were doing when those right. cartoons were in production. Um, it's re- It kind of becomes the researcher's role to then synthesize all of that and, and arrive at a conclusion to me. Right. 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 There are yeah. some people that like, there are some historians who says that it was 38 and there are some historians that say it was 40. Mm. Well, I mean, 38 was probably when Harem Scarum was in production. It was released in 39. Right. But uh, uh, really, um, that first uh, rabbit cartoon, I do believe Bob Clampett in the sense that uh, um, he had some gags left over from Porky's Duck Hunt and uh, and they were incorporated into the Porky's Hare Hunt right. because they're so similar and and so zany, like the like the embryonic Daffy and the embryonic rabbit. But the only guy who's credited on Hare Hunt is is, is Howard Baldwin, who's... Uh, I think uh, related to uh, another Baldwin that we know in the animation field. Yes. Yes. 
can't I've, which I've, I've spoken, is it Gerard Baldwin you're referring to? To which one? Gerard Baldwin? Yes, yes, right. I spoke, I still had to speak to Gerard Baldwin a few times on the phone. He was very nice. I called He's, him. He was, yeah. Him. He died recently, didn't he? Yes, he died recently. When I right. tried to do that June Foray project, right. I called him on the phone. He's like, yeah, call me again anytime. So he just says, here's my number. And I just called him again once in a while and I just chatted with him. Right, yeah. Well, he was very helpful to me years and years before on the on the Jay Ward book. Yeah, because he was one of the one of the ones who went down to Mexico with Bill Hertz. And, yeah. Uh, so his input there was I was there. You know, I saw all of this uh, stuff. Of course, you know, like like again, another author's quandary is that um, one of my problems with that book was that uh, the the negative review said, "Oh, there's all this stuff about Mexico. It's too much information." <laughs> So it's like you, you know, wow. I'm, I'm one of these people that loves all God. the information. But, yeah. but that's what I read. I remember one time the, the the first like when I first bought one of your books, I was looking to buy one of your books, Mark. I remember until I just bought it signed. Yeah, the other book was was one word TMI on your on your review <laughs> or something like that. I've gotten that, and, on I'm, the... and I'm like, well, that's just the best part. That's, that's when it's good. I've gotten that. <laughs> the most on the Dennis the Menace book and I'm looking at it oh. and I go yeah it's a pretty thick book but yes, it's yes. thorough it's designed for yes. not the casual fan if you just like yeah. Dennis the Menace as a character and maybe yeah. seen cartoon in the newspaper it's like yeah, yeah don't read my book but yeah it's sort of like when everything I was, you know when I was very young I used to kind of wonder what they meant when Chuck Jones or somebody like that would say we we did this for ourselves but now that we're authors it's sort of like in, in a sense yeah. we are writing it for yeah. ourselves yeah to, like Sherlock Holmes oh, on the case, you know. I mean, I mean, I've said this even before I was a book author. It's like, you know, if you know, there are books that I wish I had written, and then you know, then it time would pass or th that I didn't write. I mean, w books that I wish were written that's what I meant to yes. say, yes. and time would pass and there wouldn't be a book about it. And it's like, <sighs> and occasionally, like, you know wonderful yeah. things came out like this and so i go oh good i don't have to do this one but <laughs> you know but you know they were few yeah. and far between and so i was like you know and so i've taken it upon myself when i'm writing my books is is it a subject that's been covered to death if it yes. has yeah. is there a twist on it that i can do that no one mm. else has done if i can't do that i don't really want to do it you know and right. it's really hard for me to get into a book that, that's why i put off doing the mad book mm. for years he wanted me ben wanted me to do the mad book back when i did the crack book and i said i don't want right. to do a mad book i don't there's other mad books you know sure, yeah but then enough time has passed <laughs> And I yeah. realized they haven't really covered those later years. Now, most people say, yeah. oh, those are the crummy years anyway, but that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, well, I'm, I'm a completist. I'm like you. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. To me, it's all the years are important. But but um, yeah, and then again, I think of something like MAD as as such a successful thing that it sort of makes sense that I've, I've bought all the books that are available about Orson Welles, and each one of them has new stuff in it, you know, and yeah. there's a whole library, a whole shelf of books that long about Orson Welles, just himself they and his life and his films. Billions so the same of books sort of on thing. Disney, and they're yes. clearly every aspect of Disney is written and clear, and every time someone comes out, that, well, that's because the studio is so well documented. Yes. Like yes. Didier Guez, every time he writes a book, like, you know, right. he just wrote a book on Disney's world tour, this little tiny tour that he went on. Yeah. Right. 
I know. Well, I, yeah. I found I found one of the best things he did was the Waltz People series, and I'm yeah. up to number twenty five of that. But uh, um, it is it's amazing with Disney books, and that's why I said in in my Disney chapter at the beginning, it would be pointless of me to do a little studio history, you know, you know because it's been done. So it's yeah. let's yeah. just discuss the voices he used you now from chronologically, yeah. right. Right. And it's, even then, even pointless. that's frustrating too, because of the original one year of Mickey Mouse, there were other staff members pitching it, in and doing it. I've I considered Walt Disney. I one time described him as like the Lincoln of, of yes. Hollywood. Right. Meaning that there are so many books about him. Yet, despite the fact that there are so many books about him, about half of them are are mythical. Oh yes, yeah. right. I, I can't. I can't bear it's, it's, the fact it's, that I've it's, still got where Mark it's just like Lincoln, where there's a lot of books on Lincoln that are not exactly true. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of books on a bunch of historical figures like that. Um and um, and the problem with Disney is there's really only like three of them, and every one of them has a little bit of problems to it. But the, yeah. also the problem also is you really can't write a book about Disney. That's why he's like he's like Martin Luther King or Lincoln. There are about a billion different books on him and mm. only about five of them are any good and all five of them have but and all five of them have enough information you don't need to do another one yeah and 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 a lot of them are based on um so many people's um different perceptions of walt yeah um <laughs> which could be all uh, you know they could be say 50 percent who who absolutely loved him and each of them is a slightly different opinion because it's all just right. their day-to-day -day stuff um, but I hate the books like Mark Elliott's Dark Prince and all of that because yeah. <laughs> they're the ones that there's something in in the in human nature. If they're not buffs like us, there's something about human beings that they want to believe that horrible stuff. They don't want to hear yeah. the accurate stuff. Yeah. Which See, I have that book for a Babbitt, laugh. Oops, sorry. Which is interesting because <laughs> Babbitt himself said Babbitt himself, who was obviously not a fan of Disney, said yes. that book is a load of crap. Yes, yes, that's he, interesting. He himself yeah. said that everything in that book is untrue. Right. And, and it's mean-spirited. talking too. to the extreme. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know, because I've, I have I remember reading quite a few interviews with Babbitt and, and uh, his grievances were accurate, you know, and uh, um, the the Elliot one is just, comes across as just a nasty piece of work, you know. And the the, the Elliot thing that I actually bought it from a, from a, Goodwill because I didn't I didn't know anything about Mark Elliott when I bought it and I right. opened up to a random page and it was like John F Kennedy and Walt Disney I'm like well I'm gonna look <laughs> into this first before I start reading yes. this and I'm like yeah I'm just gonna yeah. give this back yeah yes I know yeah, and there's another book too that I don't care for but I can't think which one it is but is most like of the Walt, ones that I... Disney's World I think it's called. Is that oh, a Leonard, Leonard Mosley? Mosley and he yeah. spells his own name wrong in the yeah. book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Um, when did you start research on this, Keith? Was it uh, like way really... back before you did the J. Ward book? And why did you write it? I have that yeah. question. Yeah, why? Why? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I think uh, it was again like something I was interested in because I am in that field and have been since I was like 19 and um, have worked with lots of, you know, voice people over the years and been fascinated by the whole craft and the technique of it. And then over the years that became more and more of a topic of interest among cartoon fans, simply because there was never any credit except for Mel Blanc. And, uh, and then by the age of the internet, people did start making a few little discoveries and, and, and mis 
misinterpreting some information that Hames Ware and I came out with and, and putting wrong information up on IMDb, incredibly wrong. And, and I've, you know, I've, I've been there. I just had to interrupt. I've actually, I actually was on the phone with IMDb once and I had to literally get no blank to email them just to make sure, Hey, this is wrong. Yes. I basically yes. had to get no blank and he didn't have to do it, but I told him about this. They credited Mel Blanc as the voice of the dog on The Simpsons. This is absolutely oh, true. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had to, and I called IMDb and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I called them and they're like, what is your proof that it's not there? And I'm like, and I had, and I was on the phone with them for an hour trying to explain mm. to them that the information was wrong and they didn't believe me. Wow. I know that I've heard somebody else say that recently that, um, uh, oh, the, I don't yeah. know who it is. The guy doing the the Papa Toons, um, um, oh, Leibowitz. Yeah, Leib Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he he said that um, even though his some of his guesses are wrong, but uh, he did say that he was trying to research the voices of the Papa Toons, and I was stunned at that because I figured he had so much of George Powell's paperwork that he would have found all the all the reports on the on the sound recording. But it sounds like that you have to really somehow dig in some West Coast Paramount archive to find all of that. Because yeah. I'm also trying to find out who did the voices in some of the uh, speaking of animals, Jerry Fairbanks shorts too. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, uh, to to get back to the the answer, it really, um, I, I I think the research began in '78, really when that uh, Funny World article came out called The Moving Drawing Speaks, and that was Hames Ware and uh, this English guy, Graham Webb. And I joined up with them in 94 because I'd been doing the same research myself in Australia, um, being fascinated with the voice artists and so on, and and finding the connection with old-time radio, which to me just now, you look back and it just makes common sense because they were both in Hollywood in that back in the day. You know, they were all just workaday people cross-pollinating from a cartoon job back to a radio studio and all of that. But it was it was such a learning process back then because by then, unless you were a collector of the old-time radio shows, fortunately I was and I loved it. And I would hear these cartoon voices. Mm -hmm. And then the person who really spurred me on to do the book, strangely enough, was Chuck Jones because he used to hate questions about it because with his <laughs> ego he couldn't stand not being able to answer something. And sometimes he just couldn't re remember voices, you know, whereas Clampett uh, had the most photographic memory. It was almost infallible. Sometimes there'd be a couple that might be wrong. I remember uh, reading the Mike Barrier interview that was published in 69 when he was talking about Tin Pan Alley Cats and how he um, he remembered going in to see the music recorded for that by Eddie Beald and his hand-picked cast of black musicians in the morning. And here it is 40 years later and I'm at UCLA, USC in the Warner Brothers archive, and I find the the sheet for that cartoon, and sure enough, it says nine thirty a.m. And it's like and like Bob Clampett remembered exactly, you know. And uh, but Chuck Jones was the one who really spurred me to do the book because uh, when he was in Sydney, I'd just seen the uh, cartoon Daffy Duck and the Dinosaur, mm -hmm. and I wanted to know who did the little Jack Benny sound-alike voice because uh, <clears throat> I had no idea. I just knew it wasn't Mel. You know that the, who said, uh, "Gee, well, gosh, I'm tired. First thing in the morning." You know that voice. I'm and hungry. I said, "I know he's trying to be Jack Benny." You know, um, so he was in a radio interview with me. I, I was sitting next to him, 
um, because that was when Warner Brothers Studio stores were going all over the world back. This is 1990. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to him, oh, just before you leave, would you happen to possibly remember 1939? Who did the voice of Casper Caveman? And he looked up at the ceiling and went, oh, yes. He said that was Jack Lescooley. Um, and um, I remember asking him, I phoned him up again just to double check. And I said, you mean Jack Lescooley, who later on went on to be the host of the Today Show in the 60s? He said, yeah. He said back then he was a struggling actor and he used to play tennis with Phil Munro, the animator. So it's like huh. these weird connections. If only, I, you know, they were all still alive, I could ask him a million things. And that would probably right. be one of the weird things that triggers the answer, you know? Right. I mean, so that just... really, that from that point on, I thought, I'm going to get this down. And I can and Hames Ware and had joined me by then, and uh, he was he was really thrilled that somebody else cared about all this sort of arcane sort of stuff, and uh, he and I both at the same time said, you know, I wonder if there's a book in this because I know it's very um, much a, a, an area of animation that's only a small part compared to the months of work that the animators do and the layout people and the storyboard, but. Uh, we both looked at it, looked at each other and said, yep, I think a book is on the cards, you know? So that's where it happened. Now, I think from 1994 onwards, when he began doing articles in Animato called uh, Hearing Voices, that was a column. Oh, yeah, I remember that. A couple yeah. of years, yeah. His first one was about sniffles. And again, it took another seven years to really get the accurate answer to that. And that was because somebody finally through the internet contacted Jerry Beck and it was the, the son of, of the woman who did Sniffle's voice. You know, we knew it wasn't Sarah Berner and we knew it wasn't Bernice. So uh, it was this gal called Margaret Hill who later her married name was Margaret Talbot, but she only did two years because then she retired to have a family. And that's why you hear the Sniffle's voice in, in, um, a few Walter Lance cartoons. I think it, he, she used it once for Andy Panda. Oh yeah. And, uh, and he said, if I can ever find them, I remember when I was a kid seeing there were payment stubs that her mother kept from Walter Lance and Leon Schlesinger. And boy, if I could find them and scan them, that'd be a real find. So yeah. there, there, there's a very long convoluted answer to why I wrote the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it no, turns out strangely enough with the, with the two generations of cartoon buffs now um that there was an audience for it because in those days when we began hames and i said well let's do it but there'll only be two people in the world who'll ever buy it <laughs> <laughs> well that's why i say it's it's handy with uh Jerry Beckenworld Freewald's Looney Tunes book because right. you go mm. through that book and it has a synopsis of the cartoons and it might say a few voices that they, that are yeah. obvious like a beep yeah. and a Derrick, but then they're going well it's that uh, that uh, announcer voice again you know yes, that is right. in yeah. all these other cartoons <laughs> but they never give name credit and you're like right who is it jerry (laughs) you know and so then your interest is peaked and then this this is the worst part i'm sure you discovered this because of being an old radio show fan you hear the same voice on a radio show and they don't give credit there either or you'll see an old commercial and it'll be there it's like who is this guy (laughs) that's why one of the one of the best things i ever found uh in the mid 90s was these uh, old issues of the national radio artists directory mm-hmm. because they were like those academy players books they had a picture and recent credits but then they'd have specialties at the bottom of each entry and it said specialties like funny accents loud yells um cartoons you know and it's like ah 
So then you do a little bit of back research and realize, yes, that's the voice that I heard. So there's a name for it. You know, a lot of this was just so piecemeal. The, the, it was such a specialized subject that it had to be researched in piecemeal fashion. That was once like... you found once you found some person that sometimes took care of 20 to 40 cartoons because it was the same person in each one of them. So it was like, ah, that chunk has now been solved. That that was that's always my issue when I'm watching the Flintstones reruns because they right. never have the right cream credits on them. I know. Oh, so I was so like, when that Blu-ray came out, I was I was I was led to believe, and it was false information, that they had found all the original credits and uh, they were going to be inserted on the back of all the first two so seasons. I'm like, uh, so it'll be like you know the random episode where it's like the gruesomes and it's like right. credited with Jerry Mann right at the end, and I'm like, yeah. Who's Jerry Mann? And God bless. And now I grew up with the internet. And right. I was only five years old when Yelp introduced his blog. I might have actually been like nine, but. Right. So I was you able mean. to immediately pull up who's Jerry Mann, right? Yes. So I have yes. that benefit because mm-hmm. um, I'm young. But, no, um, that's that's understandable. I, I felt the same way when when I was you know your age and just getting interested in all of this. And of course, there was even less um, stuff to look for in those days. But somehow, God, I can remember going into public libraries and and um, handwriting stuff out of bound issues of Variety and stuff right. back then before you could do scans and things. Right. So we all find a way. But uh, yeah, I know Jerry Man. Um, and then, of course, when I started hearing him in the 1940s on very few radio shows. Um, we heard him in one MGM cartoon. I think it's called a Stork's Holiday. And it was the same, one of the same voices used in the Flintstones, like in 1960. Yeah. So here he is back was in the it, 40s. Was, and was it's it Hannah of Barbera. a Stork? I'm just curious. Which one? Was it of a Stork? Uh, no, the, the Stork was Pinto Colpic. Um, I think it was like, it was a, there was a Walter Winchell radio voice. And he'd done that in one of the Flintstones as a, as a radio voice. Yeah. And also on one Walter Lance cartoon uh, that he was credited on, but he was a guy who was often out of town. Yeah. But 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 Hanna Barbera were were loyal to him because after they they used him in the forties. In fact, I think I mentioned in the book. That's right. I found a file on him at the Billy Rose in New York, and it did have some clippings of of when he was between stage engagements he got a job at mgm and he thought he was going to be on camera and then that contract lapsed so while he was there they he took a job in the cartoon department and he was writing gags and being available for voices because he'd been on stage all his life and so you you often hear him in some of the tom and jerry's like the zoot cat and he's the voice on on the radio doing a kind of very exaggerated walter winchell saying that's right that's exactly right boy you listen to me you know and uh and it is very much like the one of the voices he did in 1960 on the flintstones so boy they were loyal to him but then i think he um he ended up going on broadway and he was never available in hollywood but uh i think in the 50s a couple of times he was one of the voices for uh spike the bulldog yeah yeah they were just loyal to him I know that I I got Evanier to help me fix the name. The other IMDb credit that I actually got it Evanier to help me fix right was that was um the um the first Yogi Bear short which Mark you and I have talked about on Anthony's podcast Three Little Pigs yeah the Three Little Pigs one on their on their own show the wolf is voiced by Dawes right he's got that Phil Silver's kind of voice to him right oh uh, like the Hokey Wolf one yeah right kind of like but um kind of like the um. 
but um, but in the the first Yogi Bear show, the pig short, but they credit Jerry Mann for some reason. IMDb does. Wow. Just, just and I and I honestly think they just says, well, the Dawes has done enough. Let's just credit Jerry Mann. And I and I called and I emailed Evan Ear, and he got he and they got the next day it was fixed. Yeah, I don't know if right. Evan Ear did anything about it, but the next day it was fixed. Now, are you saying that this was like the first episode of the half hour Yogi Bear show? Yes. Yeah, I, I'll have to go re rewatch them. I, I, again, I got those DVDs that came out a few years back, and I'm assuming it's on that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah good. Yeah, because <laughs> I always like to check. There's somebody, I think it might have been Yap, who, who said that um, Doris Butler had done a, a Fred Allen impression, and and um, he mentioned the title, and it was in a Huckleberry Hound episode, and it was one of Doors's best impressions because he did it for me once in person at his house saying how much of a an influence fred allen had been as he was growing up you know and um sure enough it's it's in that huckleberry hound cartoon i must have forgotten because i hadn't seen it since i was a little kid um uh, but uh yeah i i I, th I think um from that huckleberry hound show they did voice credits but occasionally there would be a quick draw of McGraw episode where they tried somebody else and they'd already made up the standard show credits for uh, that right. series. Right. So I, I think it I was have... the, I know the the later Flintstones that survived from it. I think season three onwards have the correct credits at the end of each yep. episode, right? It's the yes. first two. It's the rise and shine. Yeah. yeah right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, I have Same a with voice... Top Cat too. I think they, unless they've, they've done all the real Top Cat voice credits at the end, uh, I don't think or, they fixed that one. They did fix Johnny Quest. They did fix the Jetsons on the Blu-ray. The Jetsons was the one yeah. I was worried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because on the original DVD, the Jetsons just had one yeah. standard card. No, yeah, you have to get right. the Blu-ray, and it has all the commercials and everything. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got the Blu-ray yeah. of the Jetsons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. So, um, when I was doing my for June Foray project, which I right. know both of you, I kind of both of you about. So, I read countless interviews, and one of the June Foray had I even mentioned on this on an interview before because apparently she's mistaken for this enough to where she had to mention it. Where did the rumor that she voiced the Red Hot Riding Hood come from? Oh, again, again, it's just I think uh, <laughs> some young cartoon fan who who probably had heard that June Foray was the woman of a thousand voices, so therefore it must be her yeah. because. Uh, she didn't start doing well. She did one cartoon that she'd forgotten about in 1943 for Chuck Jones called The Unbearable Bear. Mm -hmm. And and um and then that same year she did one Walter Lance um Oswald Rabbit revival called The Egg Cracker Suite. And then she didn't do any more cartoons until she remembers the first thing she did for Disney, like uh, in Cinderella right. or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, in 49, I think they recorded that, but uh yeah. Yeah, I think you know. Again, it's sort of like the when the IMDb first came out, they had the Fox and the Crow, uh, which was you know the Columbia's from 1941 onwards, and after the Mel Blanc did the first one because everyone recognizes his voice, they had Paul Frees, you know, as the Fox and the Crow, and of course it was Frank Graham, and and Paul Frees wasn't even in Hollywood back then until after <laughs> World War Two. So it's like um, these these facts were the bane of our life. And once we started doing the serious research, the most maddening thing of all was that people still thought we were wrong and their guesses were right. Oh, so yeah. It's, yeah. it's frustrating to the hilt. <laughs> <laughs> which um, which and I've read, and I literally, I think she pointed that out in two or three interviews where she right. had to literally say, 
I was not the voice of Red Hot Riding Hood. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and these people, if only they'd known, because in the in that trade publication, the radio artist book in the forties, every issue has Sarah Berner's picture, and she says, "Voice of Red Hot Riding Hood." You know, so <laughs> all they had to do was find a copy of that, and there's the information right. confirmed. So it's it's a constant thing, and and of course there there's still so much we don't know in the in the wide wide history of all of this stuff that goes mm-hmm. way back. Out of all the studios, I think right. I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway. Um, who, right. w- which studio uses the widest variety of talent? Well, I, I would, I would go so, so far as to say Walt Disney. Really? Um, okay, I was thinking yeah. Warner Brothers. Even with Mel Blanc, it just yes. seemed like they use more incidental voices than other they studios. Did. Yeah, they did. Although, really. Walter Lance really used a heck of a lot of people back in the thirties and forties that, and in the thirties, boy, his Oswald, the rabbit cartoons, especially once they started (laughs) getting dialogue, they are zany because um, it's almost like they did this on purpose just to amuse themselves around the studio. Tex Avery and Cal Howard and all these people. (laughs) Yeah. Because uh, in several of those early talking Oswalds, he, the, he does the first line's obviously done by a female singer with a really high voice. So you think Oswald's a little girl voice. The next line's done by a guy with a deep voice. <laughs> then, then it's done by a guy with a sped voice, and then a woman with a sped. And it's almost like, are they doing this to just screw with the audience's mind, or are they sitting around, rolling around on the floor, clutching their stomachs, laughing their heads off? <laughs> wow. it, it, that was the quirkiest use of voices for about three years at Lance when they were all very young. I have a question. Sorry, sorry, Kim. I have a voice question for you. So Freeberg will tell the story that he voiced Porky Pig in a cartoon. Porky Pig. Yeah. Is that is there any truth to that? I don't. No, I've never I've never heard a Porky soundtrack in my life that Freeberg yeah. did the voice. No, not at Unless all. He did it on a record or something, but I haven't he heard. May anything. have, like he did with Mickey's voice on that um, yeah. Mickey's birthday for Capital. Freeberg told that story. Unless he's confusing Once it with in... three little bops or something. Yeah, maybe he meant three little bops and he got it confused in his mind. Yeah, but Freeberg Was he told older the then? Was he older when he said this or younger? Yeah, Freeberg told that story when he was older. Okay, so right. he, the mind might have been going a little bit. Well, don't don't forget also on that on that uh, volume two of the Looney Tunes Golden Collection, he was doing the commentary for the first Three Bears cartoon, which Kent Rogers did, the dumb kid, and Freeberg thought it was him thought it was himself and it was like i don't believe this he can't tell the vocal difference between his own junior bear and kent rogers one <laughs> well especially that, like that was... like you remember lines that you've read before right right like yes like yeah, that's you, right like i don't know i assume you have like a copy of the rock adventures of rocky and bullwinkle script sitting around I somewhere downstairs <laughs> somewhere yeah, yeah. i do. have june's copy of that right. script. But, but you probably kind of right. remember lines just from because of going over it and, and doing oh, yeah. it right yeah. you know and so, seeing yeah. it a few times you remember exactly. like yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not remember, saying you know, memorize can... it, but I'm sure it would sound familiar to you if you heard yes. your own voice track versus, say, Bill Scott. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, but, and also most voice people like that, especially ones who specialize in in a range of characters, tend to have a really good ear about their own voice print. You know, and it's like, yeah. oh no, that's not me. I can I can tell that's not me. It could well be that he was a he was pretty in into his senior years and a little bit dotty. 
and secondly, Stan Freeberg uh, had, to be perfectly blunt, a very big ego, um, <laughs> very healthy ego. Yeah. You know, well, that was uh, that was one thing that I did. <laughs> but um, <laughs> apparently, when Paul, when he and Paul Freeze got together, it was like the battle of the egos. You sound and, like when he's in Green Christmas. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, well, <laughs> was there so. But sometimes he'd use he'd use that kind of voice uh, almost. It was like his real voice, but it was a character as well. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> it's almost like Stan, don't do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul Freeze was um, the you know like he he would play on it like Al Jolson would play on on an ego, you know. And uh, I re I remember being at a, a Jay Ward session. I was very privileged to get to see one of them, um, and um, and Paul Freeze would <clears throat> come in late. And he was like a short little guy, but he had this enormous um, ego. But it was like a, it was like a joke with him. He he did it on purpose just to get a laugh or get a reaction. And he'd come into the studio and do a little tap dance that he had remembered how to do as a youth. And uh, he'd suddenly say, "On your knees, everyone! The emperor's here!" <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Scott would say, "Oh hell, Paul, for God's sake! <laughs> you damn feather bedding actors!" In the course of doing this book, I assume you did this. Uh, did you get to listen to like original tape archives or anything like oh, that, yeah, or is it yeah. just listening to the cartoons themselves? Well, the cartoons themselves, uh, with the tape archives, that was more the Jay Ward era because um, okay. Bill Scott gave me permission to um, borrow each of those huge 15 inch reels of audio tape and dub them. Um, so that I could have a chronological set of listening to each session and seeing how things developed. He he kind of knew, like when it, when I first met him, I think I mentioned in the Moose that Roared that uh, I went to lunch with him. Of course, I was only nineteen then, but uh, right. I'd been sending stuff back and forth to the studio, and he he said, "My God," he said, "You you know more about our stuff than we do," and and <laughs> I was just like this hobbyist, you know. Yeah. But uh, he did say at that lunch. Um, you know, one day I predict that you will write a book about us. And of course, being 19, I was thinking, oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to see that happen. I had no idea that 30 years later I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was gone. Unfortunately, the biggest disappointment of my life was that Bill Scott was one of the great guys I knew and he didn't get to see the book. Right. I um, uh, I was I talked to Skip Craig every two. Yes, I know. He's a least. great guy. Yeah. Yeah. At least every two months or something like that. Yeah. Um. So he um um so literally literally i basically have him on speed dial um, yeah. <laughs> um but you um, say hello from me the next time you speak yes um he um he told me that when he first met you you were you were also collecting radio shows from him yes oh yeah and he was the first guy who supplied him because in the old dudley do right emporium where he would sometimes be behind the counter um when he wasn't doing editing um he he had a little catalog from his own personal collection. Um, I think he got into recording old time radio shows because he remembered and liked to hear people that he knew from the studio, like William yeah. Conrad and Paul Fries, but also because he'd been the world's biggest Spike Jones fan mm -hmm. and um, had traveled with the Spike Jones band and had all the old Spike Jones radio shows that nobody else had. And uh, I came in on that visit when I was 19 and Jay Ward's wife said, "Oh, 
if the, the radio shows are really done by a guy called Skip Craig and he's in the, the little building next door. And I said, because I was such a fan of the, the shows, I went, oh, you mean the editor that you see his name in the credits. And she was like, I think it was one of the first examples of being bugged by one of these young fans who <laughs> it's like that old William Shatner sketch on Saturday Night Live. Get a life. Get a life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's where that expression originated, that sketch. Pretty but much, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I met Skip and he was in there and playing a playing a Johnny Dollar episode while he was editing film. How he could listen to two sound sources at once is beyond me. But I came in and when he turned the tape off, I, I was just telling him who I was in town. And I'd, I'd written to Doris Butler and Bill Scott and all that. And I knew them. And he was quite quite taken by this young Australian voice saying that he was a Jay Ward fan. So I started doing the voices out of a... A, a recent commercial that he'd cut together, a Quisp and Quake commercial, you know, with uh, with Bill Conrad saying, why so sad, mama? You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and so he he became a booster for me really early on. I remember when he said, he said, I bet you, I bet you can't do my voice because he, he had he had this kind of, <laughs> because um, if you listen to our, our Miss Brooks, the old radio show, um, there was a guy called Leonard Smith and he was an actor who played this this character who was a, a kind of a slow-witted student at Madison High mm-hmm. uh, called Stretch Snodgrass. And um, when when Skip and, and uh, Corey Burton came with me, I, I also knew him on that trip. And uh, we were both young, but doing all these Dudley Do-Right and all these voices. And Skip was just, he had, his mouth was open saying, boy, you guys are the, the next generation. And um, he said, I bet, I bet you'll never be able to do me. And and he said, I, uh, he said, I don't have a voice. He said, I just sound like stretch snodgrass. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you ever listen to an Al Miss Brooks show, you'll hear like what he meant. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was talking to Skip and he says, he said, he was telling me, he says, I was telling him about comics. We we're talking about comic strips. And we we're just talking about comic strips we both like. Right. And he says, I remember when I was a kid, because he was born in 1930, okay? Yeah, right. Okay, Um. so he was actually a little, a lot younger than Ward and Scott, right? Because he was... He was about young, 10 years younger, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was the young guy in the in, in Spike Jones's little group, too, right? Yeah, he was the, the young, band, he was the the band boy. There, yeah. Right? He was the kid. Yeah. But um, he was, so he was telling me, he says, I remember... When I first got, he says, I remember when I first got one of those issues of Famous Funnies. <laughs> so I got a whole stack of them. And he says, then I got rid of them. Uh, Looking at it now, why did I do that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, a lot of these old timers used to think, boy, I'd, I'd make a lot of money on that. <laughs> but, you know, he was, a, he was a great help because he, again, Skip had such a an accurate uh, recall yeah. of everything. And he insisted on... If I'd show him a, a half-completed uh, draft of a chapter back in the early '90s, he'd say he'd he'd pencil very neatly little little tiny corrections that just made the the um, chronology slightly more accurate. You know, he's he's still he's he's 91. He's a little yeah. bit harder of hearing, but he's yes. he's still got a great memory. Well, yeah, I saw him. I remember I saw him on that multi hookup that we all did for Amber's yeah. uh, Bill Scott thing. And he waved at me. He said, hey, Keith, how are you? I hadn't seen him for a long time. The last time I saw him was when he loaned me, uh, I think, 
home burned DVDs that he had of Spike Jones's old soundy shorts, right? Which which they used in one of the Mel Blanc documentary things, uh, at you know those Golden Age Looney Tunes collections yeah. where they had all those special features that I'm on and Jerry's talking yeah. and all this, and uh, I, I all these years I was just hoping that the Constantine and his people sent all that stuff back to Skip because I gave him Skip's address and all of that. And I had to fly back to Sydney, but uh, I'm sure he did, or I would have heard from him. Hey, where's my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get after Constantine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, he's he's very good. I mean, I really love the work that he does. Yeah. I have, I, I, I really want to know where, what, where is, what is that ad? But ask Noel. I literally had to send Noel a, a clip of the ad, right? And I'm like, right. what is this ad of him talking to Elmer Fudd? Oh, yeah. You know what you want to talk about? And I'm like, what is the ad? What is it for? And I was just wondering, what is it for? And I eat, and I and I and I talked to Noel. I've talked to Noel occasionally on the phone too. Right. Um, yeah. He um. So and he's like, I have no idea. And he says, I don't remember. He says he think he says I think it's from an airline. Which I yeah. don't know if that's right. Could be. Because a lot of times, you know, the people like him would get called in and they'd do their lines and, right. and months and months later the thing is completed. And he may not have ever seen it on air if it was a short lived thing. Right. It's but, like it's like it's the one where he's talking to Elmer Fudd, you know, from what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think I may have even seen that in the dim memories of parts of my memory that recall it, but uh I mean, uh, I, I did find one source uh, of Noel for the book. It's either in the notes or in the chapter, but uh, it talks about after Mel died. And it was like a quote that he said to some interviewer where he said, he, he said, to tell the truth, I was never interested in doing voices, which means that the when Mel was alive, that whole family thing about Noel's going to inherit all these voices when I go and all this sort of thing. It was more more kind of kept up as uh, you know keep keep it all in the family and keep it loyal, but deep down he when he heard Jeff Bergman on on box office bunny I think it was yeah the, yeah he uh, met Jeff and said boy he said you you really sound like my dad yeah <laughs> yeah I so. know that Noel is fan, a fan of some of them not a fan of the other some of the other ones right yes yeah, yeah. Um, yes I know really, it, I know what you mean yeah yeah well didn't um, the rule didn't the, Sorry to interrupt. Didn't the rules change around that time? That even if Noel wanted to do it, you couldn't have somebody like a Mel Blanc anymore doing all the voices. That, that was the unwritten rule or the unspoken rule. But I think they were worried deep down that uh, if somebody was publicized around the world as replacement for Mel Blanc, yeah. and and that was all happening at the same time when Mel passed, all the Warner Brothers studio stores were just going to open worldwide. You know. Right. And there was, and and also it was twelve months before the the fiftieth um, anniversary of Bugs Bunny in a Wild Hair, mm -hmm. so it was all a lot of Warner Brothers publicity yeah. that year after Mel died, and I think they were all well. First of all, it was the old thing about you know they worried somebody was going to gouge them for more money, yeah, and uh, because um, I think it was only in his last years that Mel Blank ended up getting some sort of respectable money for for all of that stuff, yeah. Uh, certainly, when you look at the old pay slips and things that I found from the 1940s, Mel's real money was in the in the radio series of which he was a regular because they were national, and they were sponsored. So he was yeah. being paid 
really he was being paid by the Lucky Strike Tobacco Company. He was being paid by Judy Canova's sponsor and Burns and Allen's current sponsor, Maxwell House. And that was big bucks because uh, I think his agent in the in the 40s, uh, there was a national uh, recognition of him much more than in the cartoons. It was on radio, you know, the, the happy postman. Hello, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> and, you know, you can hear the audience laughter each week. It's sort of like Bill Thompson's voices, like uh, Wallace Wimple. What about uh, those so Capitol we, records that he did which, back in the day? That was interesting, though, because like yeah. they because I always thought it was interesting when you hear his voice when you hear when you hear people talking about him, right? right? But back then, when you hear it, but you know, he's they say, oh, he's a star of this, but most people recognize him as the voice of Bugs Bunny. Yes, you know, yeah. that's they that's started the, they started publicizing Bugs in the mid forties on radio because by then that rabbit had taken off so popularly that even on his own radio show. Um, they'd say, uh, Mel Blaine, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jack Benny's violin teacher. And then you'd hear him go, uh, Monsieur, Monsieur Benny. And then, uh, then you'd say another one like the happy postman. And finally, and of course the voice of Warner brothers, Bugs Bunny. What's up there? So, so then each one got a tiny bit of applause from a studio audience. You realized, yeah, he's becoming quite famous even before television, you know? Right. Yeah. But the question I had, sorry, the, the question I had was, did those Capitol records that he did way back when do well for him or were they just kind of like an additional set of income and it wasn't that big I of a deal? I think it was a pretty much additional income. He was okay. so busy back then. Okay. I think the big money, once the 1950s hit <laughs> and <clears throat> TV came along in the US in 48, I think by 52, they reckon most people had a set in the house. Yeah, That's when people like Mel Blanc and Paul Fries and that began realizing we're going to make more money because the, they were panicking with the end of radio coming on the horizon. Mm. All of them would gen like Paul Fries sister said that he was genuinely panicked to the point where for a little, about a few weeks he went to see an analyst thinking I'm going nuts. I'm so, so scared about my future. Um, and suddenly they realized that television with with made for TV animated commercials with residuals, this was where their their um, you know future nest egg was because uh, suddenly they were getting paid much better than they ever did in the theatricals, which were a one off payment. You know, in I fact, yeah, Mel Mel Blank in the forties uh, was famous for these radio shows and all that, but he was still getting less money for each cartoon at Warner Brothers than Arthur Q. Bryan was getting. Because Arthur Q. Bryan was a senior person, and he'd he'd had a ten year longer reputation in radio, so his agent charged more than Mel Blank did, and he only ever did that one voice. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Noel told me that the only cartoon TV cartoon that Mel ever had any fun with was the right. Flintstones. Yes, yes. Because um, Mel, because he says that his dad liked the cast of the Flintstones. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't dislike. He says, but after, after all, after those shows were done, yeah, they was just. It was just became everything. Just became a job. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> yeah. As I say in the book, like Hanna Barbera, well, even Bill Hanna, who I first worked with when I was a kid, uh, even he kind of jokingly admitted, "Look, look, I know the way television works. We are looked at as a sausage machine factory now, producing all these." cartoons he said his favorites remained the first four or five years of cartoons bill hannah himself 
all of them loved and had an affection. I think Joe Barbera was the same. He 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 re really retained more of an affection for the days of Huckleberry and Quick Draw McGraw in those early years, right? When they were establishing the studio, um, <clears throat> and I think it did it did become. I mean, you can tell the writing became very formulaic and uh, yeah, and all all those 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 things that uh, Mel did, such as Hardy Har Har. None of them were yeah. characters that you really cared for. They were they were yeah. amusing heard once, but uh, pretty much yeah. just formula. But, but admittedly, the voices were what kind of saved a lot of those later oh, yes, shows. Yes. Like exactly. hearing Mel doing Captain Caveman, you yes. know, the character's not so great, but hearing him do it is great. Yes. So, By the oh, way, yeah. yes. Mark, I, Mark, Keith, so um, somebody online decided, Mark, I know I sent this to you just to get you, just to get a laugh out of you. <laughs> Um, somebody online forged there are a lot of internet um forgers people forge andy warhol all the time stuff like that is mark yeah. you're a member of that group the the animation art hall of fakes oh yeah yeah there's a forgery of frizz freeling captain caveman forgeries wow there's no context to it it makes yeah. no sense yeah there's no con it's just it's hysterically it's funny. I feel bad for anybody who's taken in by it and I know. spends big money on something that's a fake. But you know, and it, uh, well, I used to think even years ago when the whole um, mounted cells thing became a new thing in oh, the yeah. early seventies, I used to think, well, some of them are just reproductions; they're not the originals. And people, I think, are hanging them up on their wall, thinking, "Hey, I've got some animation history here." But really, uh, I felt sorry for them because, in a way, it was pretty much just a. a a thing yeah. for a CIFA to make some money to fund their events and things. As far as Jay Ward goes um, and animation cells, I was right. always on a quest to get a Jay Ward cell, a real yeah. one, because I know they had right. the the serographs signed by right. Peter yeah. Peach. Right there, right there on my wall, yeah. right next to this computer. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want a serograph. I wanted the real deal. Yeah, now, no, yeah. I, I've seen yeah. a few things here and there, Finally, but I wanted Bullwinkle, too, because I know yeah. Van Eaton Galleries, he had a couple things from Fractured Fairy Tales and things like that. But That's right. Um, <laughs> Finally so much got of that it. stuff was junked in Mexico, unfortunately. Fi but... Finally got it. It wasn't from Mexico because it was from right. one of the Cheerios commercials, which was ah, right. here. But it's a bunch of it's just a few bullwinkle heads. It's the one right. where he's wearing the bathing suit. It's a Cheerios commercial. He dies off the diving board, but it's, right. it's just a couple heads because the body was probably on another cell. Yeah. But I, you know, I had a one. Original... I cherish those because oh god, there wasn't yeah, anything yeah. else to get. That's right. <laughs> they're so they're so rare and and. Uh, I remember um, the only one I had was a <clears throat> slightly flaking one of Bullwinkle um, landing on the ground, right. like uh, you know, like, and it was from that opening in the first two, the first season where he falls off that awning, you know, and um, I loaned that to Daryl for the um, the art of Jay Ward Productions oh, yeah. book. I I have a question. So, like, yeah, when I I remember when I first got this book, I actually got it at a used bookstore, as you can see, because it says the. Marshall County Library on it. <laughs> yeah, that's the rare version, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the that's the original. Yeah. So, and it's even got the um the oh, yes, yes, right. Which, yeah, by the way, when they sell library books, they're supposed to take this out, which usually which means just avoid that building or they'll out. charge you a late fee. Yeah, <laughs> it's either a which which no working at a library. I know this either a means it's a light fee or b means they lost it and they just gave it to a bookstore. Oh. 
because I've yeah. I've seen library book. I have library book versions, and yeah. they still have the card in it that you can yeah, pull out. They're, yeah, they're not. I've got a couple. No, 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 no. <laughs> they can have the card in it, but this right here. Oh yeah, no, I have some with yeah. that too. Yeah, not, I remember not... I got a couple on Amazon Marketplace, and yeah. and that that was the copy I got. It was a <laughs> some some person selling me pretty cheap, but selling me a library copy with the card still in it. Yeah, that's how blatant um, it is. Which, which um. Now, I always thought that this was, a, and then I got Daryl's book, right. which, I actually, which I actually got signed by June. My friend Carol, who works at the Chuck Jones Gallery, bought me that for Christmas, bought me a signed copy of That's June's a nice book, book to have, yeah. Yeah, but half the stuff I have is Carol just gave, gives me. Because, right. because, and she, and, and she, and June, when she signed it, she accidentally, and Daryl and June accidentally signed it to Carol Camden. And then June also signed, but June also signed her autobiography the right way. Oh, the, uh, right. I thought but you were going to say had... in her last years, her mind started to wander and she signed it like little red, red hot writing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I was um, there when she did a signing with uh, Daryl. That was at Van Yeah. Carol would have walked, yeah. Carol would have uh, walked up to the, your table and says, yeah. Can you sign this for Camden? Uh -huh, they would have yeah. signed it, Carol Camden. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got Jerry Beck's uh, Peabody and Sherman film oh book. yeah right and is it is that a good book because the movie's not and well <laughs> it, it depends on your liking of film books based on animated features i mean yeah that's right it, you yeah. know it's like it, it's very thorough i mean uh, i got it because i like people in sherman uh, even yeah. if the film is not as good as the original five minute cartoons or whatever uh you know, it, it it had some good imagery, and that's why. And and yeah. of course, when Jerry's right there in front of you with a stack of them, it's hard to say, yeah. "Nah, I don't want your book. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, just want yeah. Daryl's book and June Frey's." Sorry, Jerry. You know, <laughs> but, oh, he, he admitted he admitted to me it was an assignment book. Yes, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a labor too, of love. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, oh, I, um, <laughs> I was in class one time in my history class. We had this thing where it's like you know. Tell everything that happened on that date. So I'm picking dates, and mine is only has to do with cartoons or radio or television. It's right. like, even if it's like you know, Washington was born on that day, it isn't going to be in my presentation. Yeah. <laughs> but someone says, "Born on this day, Jay Ward, director of George of the Jungle," and I scream in the class, oh. "No, no!" And I scream in the middle of class, "No, that yeah. is not right, no." Yeah, had just done something on Don Wilson from Jack Benny, and it was wrong. And I'm like, "All right, I have had enough." <laughs> I, I know, I, I know. I still see an occasional like, Facebook no. thing. Yeah, there'll be some some Jay Ward group on Facebook that'll say something blatantly wrong, and it's like one time I, I just tried to be polite, but I said, um, have you ever heard of the book, The Moose That Roared? Because uh, there's a couple of facts in here. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want anyone to part with money and buy it. I just wanted to yeah. correct them, you know. I Sometimes on Facebook, it looks like you're being real snippy and superior if you correct people, you know, and it's like... Yeah. Uh, so there's that that uh, oh yeah that's that guy Scott you know he thinks he's Mister Know It All. <laughs> I, I won't name names, but what drives me nuts is there's a couple of people because you know I'm the Harvey Comics guy, right? Uh, yeah, that's how I kind of got my start. Um, right. There's right. a couple of people I won't name names so to save them from embarrassment, but uh, they'll ask me questions all the time, and I'll say it's in the book. It's yeah. it's in the book, and it's like I don't mind telling answers, but. It's in the book. You, yeah, you and yeah. I know they own it. And they go, "Oh, I haven't read it." And it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that, that's like that. That's like all those those annoying people that I've known over the years who want 
hundreds and free copies of radio shows. And then years later, you meet them and say, oh, I've never listened to any of them. They're just up on the shelf. I just wanted oh, to geez. collect them. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned something. Oh, it's what Jerry Beck said. He said, I did something right. work for hire. And yeah, before that's right, the yeah. show, you were asking me uh, current things I'm working on or have worked on. So my right. most recent book totally is a work for hire, uh, right. which is uh pac-man the first animated oh, TV right, show based yeah. on a cartoon yeah. uh fellow Aussie oh, yeah. did... i gave mark a little bit of hell for that the first right i interviewed mark and the very first question i asked was why mark <laughs> why yes um uh, look, but, i can, but, I can well, see that there'll be an audience for it because i can remember when young kids i know who were growing well, up with pac-man you know? i didn't want to do it because it's kind of right. outside my wheelhouse i'm yeah. not a huge um uh, but yeah. a video game fan. I mean, I played right, yeah. and stuff, but I mean, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, I have to have it, you know, and get the Nintendo system and the uh, everything else. Sure, um, yeah. So it's kind of, Likewise. you know, out of my scope. It's like your book, it ends in 1970. You're not going to talk about something in the 80s or 90s yeah. unless it was like really whatever. But anyway, I, I you know, it's Scott Shaw that said, oh, I got the perfect person to do it. I don't know why he thought I was the perfect <laughs> person, but, you know, he's very grateful that I agreed to do it. And Ben uh, said, right. okay, let's do it. Uh, fellow Aussie Dean Rankin did uh, artwork on this. Yeah, so. I've, I've only ever said hello to him. I, I don't okay. really know Dean. Okay, I, I, didn't I know, know Anthony Anthony Kodarek very well. Yeah. But, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. But, <laughs> and uh, um, anyway, so I Anthony, used it as an we, excuse. We have cross paths. <laughs> I <Yes>. used it. <laughs> I used it as an excuse, although very slim, to right. do my complete history of Hanna Barbera. Uh, ah, <laughs> although right. it only takes. Um, <laughs> how many pages? Fourteen pages, but <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's like a summary, a summation, and that would be the market that would read that, and that'd be enough for them, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, they you know, I think back to Hanna Barbera. There were there were books I bought in the late eighties. A guy called Ted Sennett, who was mainly a film book oh, yeah. writer. Oh yeah. I uh, got that book, and to get it, I literally had to fight with a bookstore owner. My mom right? had to fight for it with a. Literally, <laughs> basically, we were in a Sioux Falls, and my mom was like, "Okay, just give us the book," and he said no. Right. And my mom was just like, "Just give us the book," and she had to pay a lot of money for it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, when it came out, it was a helpful, a helpful index of the shows that they did to the end of the eighties. But, uh, um, and I loved uh, the big hard. Uh, so not not big the the large old black and white photo of Doris Butler and Don Messick like on one of their first ever sessions they looked like young guys in 1957, but um, but and Bill Hanna when he came back to Sydney in the 90s autographed the book for me, but as Jerry Beck and I agreed, 99 percent of that book by Ted Sennett is like calendar art rather than yeah. Yeah. images from the original cartoons. But um, it's it's a useful one to have. I yeah. never did get Mike Mallory's book. I meant to get that for years, but Mike so Mallory's I book I have signed by Joe Barbera. Oh, okay. Is it a good one? I, yes, it's it's good. Yeah. It's like you know, if you have Jerry Beck's book, animate Warner Brothers animation artwork, it's like a book yep. of limited edition. Oh yes, I have that. Yeah. The studio. Uh, yep. It's like that. This yep. book right here. I don't know if you have this book. No. This book it possibly is the worst book I have oh. ever read on the wow. history of animation. Oh. It oh, it's is so thick too. Look at it. It mm. is awful. Wow. I, I, I I'm sorry, Mr. Fisher, but I'm not a fan. If you're uh, okay. Because I must admit I've never heard of it, uh, it, it or, or the author, but uh... in my intro, and this is we're talking about Barbara. I say uh, I recommend five books, and it's the Senate book, the Mallory book, Jerry Beck's Hanna Barbera Treasury, and oh, then yeah. of course Bill Hanna's and Joe Barbera's books. Yeah, Those right. Yeah. yeah. I, I figure. Yeah. 
if you got all five of those books somewhere yeah. in there, you'll have the whole history because nobody's yeah. ever really written a definitive history. Uh, yeah. But I think if you get all those pieces, it kind of. I, I did. I, I didn't mind that one uh, guy called because... T.R. Adams did about the Flintstones. That was a good hardcover yes. book. Oh yeah. yeah, I agree with what Jerry said though, because I talked to Jerry also about the Hanna Barbera books that it did. Right. The problem with the I agree with Jerry also said is the book is not the book is all stock photographs. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. all stock photographs, and it's not the photographs in the book do not hold up to the standard that you'd want a good Hanna Barbera book. That's what Jerry's book is. Yeah. yeah. Jerry's book is what I that was my epiphany book. But Jerry's I book stops book when I was nine and years the... old. <laughs> and that well, was yeah, that's the problem with my Bible. That's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, finite, I, of course, I've talked thing. to Jerry about it before. He goes, "Well, you know, nothing after Scooby Doo is that important anyway." <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, you're right, but you know, as we are all historian completist type people, yeah. you know, you always want the whole story all the way to oh, yeah. the bitter yeah. end, where it's no well, longer Hannah Barbera in the closest studio. I would have ended at Johnny Quest. So <laughs> <laughs> even before Taft, wow! <laughs> you're, you're so you're so young to say that. I thought yeah. I thought you'd regard people like me as old old yeah. coots who who wanted to end before Scooby Doo. Because like, uh, that's that's amusing. Yeah, because like Tony <laughs> Benedict says, it's good until Taft took over. You know, it's yeah. like you know. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I think Johnny Quest is a great series. That's why I, I do too. At yeah. Johnny Quest. Yeah. Yeah. And I still I still uh, like that one, but I still don't have the Blu-ray, and I've got to really get that. It's yeah. good. That's that's yeah. it's good. That's what really draws you to it. When they look that good, right? But um, now you mentioned uh, in in my cartoon voices book that uh, the cutoff was seventy. But even there, I broke my own rule because uh, I, I finished the Disney chapter and it ends right. at the Aristocats just as they start using celebrity voices. And that's yeah. why I thought this is ridiculous. I've got to write an appendix to this chapter, which is about the use of celebrity voices that goes on up until current day. You know? Yeah. Well, um, well, that yeah. is the hard part about Disney because they never really officially stopped. I mean, yeah, where is right. your cutoff when they just yeah. get crappy cartoons or they, because yeah. they, they've still always made shorts here and there, you know, especially yeah. nowadays, every Pixar, every Disney film has a brand new short. So they're doing more than ever. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Which um, I think that began, that trend began with Roger Rabbit with the spin-off yeah. little Roger cartoons that they did. And then you go, well, where do you cut off with Walt? Because Walt, uh, yeah said the go-ahead for Aristocats, you know, he may yeah, not have right. been there, but, you know, and then one could argue he said the go-ahead for Beauty and the Beast, so, yeah. you know. Yeah. One could, one, didn't he, didn't, yeah, because didn't the, didn't the idea of Beauty and the Beast start off well before? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. well, yeah. It, it was one of many being discussed as a future project, yeah. 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 I think they just I never think did Tangled it. was too, though, wasn't it? Like, the Rapunzel story was uh, an idea that Walt had. Uh, I haven't heard that, I've but probably. I've heard something about that, but it, it, it rings but, a bell. But, uh, but other I know ones that, uh, like bed knobs and broomsticks that was yeah, discussed in yeah. case they couldn't get Mary Poppins and things like yeah, that. That's, so. that's right. Yeah. And even going back to the 30s, there was about 10, I'd say, 10 features that became features <laughs> up into the mid 50s. I think even Sleeping Beauty had been discussed in the late 30s. Yeah. So Peter uh, Pan was, that was a studio that really took their time. Peter Pan was because even you know, the Electric yep. Dragon, you can Peter see Pan, Peter Pan, Bambi, models. and then I always think the funniest one is the one Allison that never Mark. got made that they kept trying as Chanticleer, and then right. it became yes. Rockadoodle by Don Bluth. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
And I forgot that, that Solomon did that book, uh, The Disney That Never Was. Yeah, that's a great yeah, book. Too, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Book. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and and then Canemaker did those nice books in the in the um, early part of this century, uh, or maybe the late nineties. Yeah. But the art of the storyboard and the inspirational drawings. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I remember when he did the third of the trilogy, which was uh, Walt Disney's Nine Old Men. I remember Mark Kausler saying, "But how can he have a book about that animation? You know, all of them, when Frank and Ollie said everything about animation in their own book." <laughs> <laughs> Which was uh, the illusion of life, yeah. Right, which was right. well, like the the heaviest telephone book you've ever picked up. <laughs> uh, yeah, try 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 buying it somewhere else and then taking it taking it on an airplane. That's oh I well, I did that. I did that on my last trip to the states pre COVID in 2019 with JB's and uh, David Gerstein's Mickey Mouse book. Oh. And oh. Uh, uh, Bob, oh, yeah. Bob Miller, that that was yeah, my... Bob Miller picked it up for me in a shop, and then I, I gave him the money for it. But I had to transport that back on the plane and put it in the overhead compartment. <laughs> I had um, that was my graduation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was my graduation gift because that was back when it was really expensive. That was my yes. graduation yeah. gift to me. Yeah, um, the, the price had just me, started. Um, I don't know if you have that new Popeye book coming out by R.C. Harvey. Mm. Um, no. Percy Harvey just passed away recently, right, right. but um, he wrote. He and Hermes Press wrote, and hopefully it'll get. Hopefully it's finished, right? Because he passed away so suddenly. But it's all about Popeye, the history of the strips, the movies, right. and everything. And it's like a brand new, two hundred fifty page coffee table book. All right, the one um, I guess I, I guess the one I wanted to get, but I st- have I've been holding off is the Fred Grandinetti one about the TV Popeyes I because I haven't one. I still haven't got the tapes of the old TV show uh, the TV <laughs> cartoons. You have the book, Mark. It's I have the Grandinetti book. Yeah, I heard oh, that right yet. away. You know? right. <laughs> because you know it's funny people go, oh, those cartoons stink, and then yeah. and and to go out on a limb further, most people are like, well, if it's in color and by famous studios it stinks and it's like oh come on and it's like for me it's like because this is why i like your book so much keith i'm a voice artist guy too in Uh, that the fact that those 60s ones even though some of them are remarkably bad they still use may they still use uh um uh, jackson they still use um jackson beck yeah that's right yeah, and, and so it's it's great because it's their voices again. If you don't like how it looks, turn it off and just listen to it like radio. <laughs> Illustrated yeah, right. radio, Chuck Jones. It. Anyway, <laughs> here's my thing about it. I like them too for this reason, and I think it is. And Mark, you and I have talked about this before. And Mark, I remember you agreed with me about this. Here's the deal: I'm a huge fan of EC Cigar, and I think that right. the Fleischers did their cartoons. I love them. They're the one of the best animated squads. But a lot was lost when they did them because they had to shorten to that seven-minute format. Yeah. And, it's, and let's face it, that's what it is. Jules Pfeiffer is right. It is basically Popeye versus Bluto. Those are the yeah. concept of a lot of those shorts. But And those are not the Seagar cartoons. The fact that they were able to use characters like Sea Hag finally yeah. was... Great in the and TV they ones, use yeah. Tag yeah. and they use Diesel and stuff like that. So I'm like, yeah, great. Yeah, that's what I like. I about remember that. watching the the the, the um, TV cartoons when I was a kid and, and enjoying them, and that's why I, I again I'm nostalgic for that period of of TV cartoons where things exploded from about 50, 58 yeah. to about sixty two. Yeah. 
And I was very, so I'd, I'd like to get copies of them just for nostalgic reasons. Uh, I think I, I, not so much the Magoo cartoons, because I think I can remember even as a kid thinking they're very repetitive. Well, I got all those too. <laughs> well, yeah, the, I, the, I went the through TV a phase one. and some of them yeah. are hard to find. I went through a phase yeah. where I said, I'm snapping up every yeah. animated cartoon DVD from the 50s and 60s of every show, yeah, even I if I never I saw the show. Like them. I never yeah. saw Cool McCool. I was too young. Yeah. Um, and but I have the set now and I've seen it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember but, I've, I've got to get the Popeye ones because I one line that I can remember even as a young kid uh, that stuck with me in my memory was 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 a line for the ages. It was just Bluto for some reason. Brutus got angry with Olive. And he's a guy who calls a woman, you ludicrous non-entity. <laughs> I don't remember I that. That's funny. They got away with that. I, <laughs> they wouldn't get I, away with it now. Yeah. I recently watched um, all of them in chronological order because I've been doing this thing where I've been going on for about a year. I've been going on these marathons where I just watched every right. Three Stooges film. And Mark, you can attest ah, right. and I yes. kept going back and forth with you. Nice work if you can get it. <laughs> I have just watched every Cambridge short. This is murder. <laughs> And you never will again. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched all of the Laurel and Hardy Fox features too. And I remember telling Mark, I'm like, uh, why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, you I know, in, in, in the very first shorts. one, um, the, the great guns is uh, the leading man is Dick Nelson, who did all those voices for Walter Lance. And I, and you um, look at him and, and he, he he just looks like uh, some kind of slightly gawky young guy. And you, you can't even imagine all those funny characters coming out of him. <laughs> the, and I was watching by when I was watching all of the Popeye King Peter right. Popeye, I realized that there is never going to be a second volume of those Popeye cartoons and Warner Brothers released for King Peter because the ones that they release are the best of the lot. Oh, is right. that right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think the ones. Well, you've just answered my question. I, I was going to say, have they released a whole chronological set of everything? To my no, knowledge, they I haven't think... released all of them in any case because I have this one set that came out about ten or fifteen years ago from this old label called Kosh Cocker Cotton. Yeah, I remember that. K O C H, and yeah. uh, they didn't put all of them on there. And then the Warner Archives one, there's a lot of duplications. But a lot of new ones, but they didn't put them all on there either. So even if no. you have both right. of them, you still don't have all of them. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Which is I remember when I was like eight or eight or nine years old, the guy living next door to us uh, worked at this Art Transa cartoon studio here in Sydney, and he took me there because I was already interested in animation, mm -hmm. and I saw them drawing Popeye for mm -hmm. the Australian outsourced uh, set. And Snuffy Smith as well. So uh, uh, that was, I guess, in 1960-61. Something like that. Yeah. Did they do Beetle Bailey and Crazy Cat yeah. too, or no? Yeah. They did? Oh, okay. They did, so they some, did some in Australia, uh, the studio okay. called Our Transa. I think it's covered in that and they, Beatles. Then they did the Beatles cartoons too, right? I think that I think they did a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. Because they did, they were, they were a source mm. for. I'm learning this now because I'm working on my book. Right. Uh, they were a source for a lot of the King Features things because King yes. Features yeah, didn't have its own animation yeah. studio, so they had to outsource yeah. it. <laughs> so, Mark, it was yeah. a, I think Brodax was the guy who yep. had the, Brodex, the contract yeah. with King yep. Features, and he he knew about two different, two or three different countries that would outsourcing American series, including down under here. Um, and then years later, like like when I'm out of high school looking for a job, I, I'm, I'm in this office and this girl says, oh, a friend of mine works at Hanna-Barbera. And I said, what, in Hollywood? And she said, no, here in Sydney. And I 
my head exploded. I went, wait, 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 wait a minute. What? And and it suddenly made sense because I'd just seen Bill Hanna like six months before on a on an Australian talk show in like late 71 talking about this this company he was helping out called Air Programs International. Yeah. And of course, the, the surviving animators from there will say now it was like, uh, well, Bill was a great guy, but really it looked like he was down there to poach us all because he was in, planning to open a, a wing of Hanna-Barbera in Australia. So when I got a job there, he was my boss for about six months. And it was like a dream come true because I yeah. took my letter from Doris Butler in with me and, and it was enough for him to say, all right, would you like a job around the studio? And um, and while I was there, they were animating, remember, uh, quite a good series that almost almost predicted The Simpsons years later called Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. And they were animating that here in Sydney. Mm. Strangely enough, and then and then about six months later, I won that trip. As I said, when I was nineteen to Hollywood, and and Doris Butler said, "Hey, that kid that you knew in Sydney's in town." And Bill Hanna said, "Come over to um, Kawenga Boulevard, where they had the studio." <laughs> and sure enough, they were still recording the voices for season two of Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. So I actually sat in on a voice session of that and met Lenny Weinrib, the late Lenny Weinrib, and uh, Tom Bosley. Yeah, Tom Bosley. <laughs> Marion, yeah, yeah. oh boy! I remember always thinking he had such a great voice for a yep. one-liner because uh, yeah. um, that other guy Jack Boons who played the the kind of uh, come on, oh, yeah. yeah, we've been sitting here waiting for this damn thing, and suddenly this woman comes out. Okay, uh, so who's the next person for an insurance policy? Well, I think it's me, but it may have lapsed by now. <laughs> and then he ends up as the father on Happy Days, you know. Right, right. <laughs> um, was that studio the same one that became Southern Star? Is that what correct? Uh, in, in Sydney, yeah. Uh, gee, it, it may have, but that Southern okay. Star was always in a different building. But uh, okay, okay. By the time because, it expanded, yeah. I think Bill Hanner had long since oh, okay. ret- either retired or. Or or the Sydney one also fell into the whole Taft thing, you know. So uh, right, okay. Yeah. And then they did, as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, they did the Funky Phantom also. Yes, that was and, the first thing they were working on. And then yeah. Dinky Dinky Dog with the later Popeyes that we aren't even talking about, the all new Popeye. Yeah, like, you know, by then I was already awful. in the business, and I was, yeah. wasn't. Uh, okay, the so they, they did do. a show called Dinky Dog, which was actually better that. than the po- Popeye cartoons. And I think <laughs> it was after I left the studio, and then uh, they did. A show called Drack Pack in the early Drack 80s. Pack, boy. Yeah, so, yeah. I think, <laughs> I um, by way, Mark, you hmm? talked about the um, Beetle Bailey. Have you read, have you seen Jason Witten's book on Mort Walker Conversations? Uh, uh, I have it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of the book, but I haven't if seen you, it. If you pull out the section on those Beetle Bailey cartoons, yeah. Oh, Mort wasn't a fan. And the, and the story, <laughs> <laughs> the story he told on the He's like, oh, wow. every time I hear those voice, I just want to shriek. Yeah. He, he just, all he does, Beetle, all he Beetle does is yells, hey, Sarge. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it might have been Howard Morris or one of those people. I think yeah, did. it was Howard yeah. Morris. Right. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've talked for an hour and a half, believe it or oh, not. Oh, yeah, we have yeah, too. Yeah. Boy. So I, I don't want to keep here. going forever and keep you. Well, what time is it there in Sydney? 
Uh, it's now uh, 20 minutes before three in the afternoon the next oh, okay. day. So it's so early. You're talking back to, back early to the future. Early tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they say there's no tomorrow, well, there's yes, proof. Yes. <laughs> there's proof. Yeah. I've got a lot, lot of American guys who will do do a thing listen, with me and say, um, hey, listen, Australia. the Kentucky Derby's running uh, right now. Can you tell us who wins? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that kind of Yeah. What was the Simpsons joke in the Bart versus Australia episode? Oh, yeah. Marge, we can see the future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess at this point, uh, I always say this. Give a plug for your books again. I'll hold them up. Uh, and if you're and how people can contact you if they have rare information about voice actors or anything else and also if just you're doing any, just facebook any messenger any oh okay yeah. any personal appearances yeah. you might be doing the next few months or anything like that so take it away nothing nothing that you'd know in the states uh it's all local stuff but uh, thank you okay. for the plug i appreciate it very okay. much and uh um if there's still some cartoon buffs out there who um you know need to get a christmas present for the um cartoon geek in your life get that too <laughs> and this one of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i still yeah. need to get the paperback version you said the paperback version has a few more things in it that is not in the it's art. just uh, just a few minor corrections of okay. facts and things and, just... and originally that was edited <laughs> for me that book and they 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 did annoying things like uh correcting my manuscript so that gerard baldwin became gerald Ooh. you know and it's like i had to tell them that was his name so in the in the revised <laughs> yeah. one that's correct you know cool. minor right. things like that very right. major to gerard himself <laughs> all right and i can't i can't end the show without you doing a little bullwinkle can you do a little bullwinkle well you us? know it's been a great uh i've certainly enjoyed this very much mark and you too mr spees and you. uh let's see watch me pull a, a microphone out of my head or something i don't know <laughs> I love it. By the way, Keith, Yo, if you, you ever hear an interview with June, the one thing she hated was when people would walk up to her and do that. Oh yeah, Boinkle yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bill Scott used to say that to me because he heard my impression and he said, "You know, um, you do it right." He said so many people. He said he. This was the way he said it. He said they just do a dumb. They think Bullwing is just this dumb guy. Yeah. He said, actually, he said the way I used to describe him, which I put in the book, is he's a smart goof. So yeah. everything he said sounded like a goofy voice, but it came out as a almost intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I thank you again, Keith Scott, for being on the show. It's a pleasure, Mark, always. And, um, you know, let's uh, maybe do a follow-up thing uh, about general cartoon stuff if you sure. want. Maybe. Sure. In a year or so, or six months, or whatever. Yeah, we don't always have yeah. to plug books. We can talk yeah, general well, animation. We could have Mark, Mark Kausler or anybody else back that we've yeah. had before. A big roundtable, yeah. and of course, well, can... the, the, this is the the third one I think I've done as a co thing because uh, yeah. you've got yourself in Camden, and I did uh, <clears throat> another plug about my book with Mark Kausler uh, for uh, Yesterday USA. You know the um, mm -hmm. the internet radio show. Yeah, and. Uh, that was a crazy one too, because we had all these people ringing up saying what you just said, do Bullwinkle. It was like a do Popeye or do this or that. <laughs> it became, it became um, a mimicking show instead yeah. of a book show. <laughs> I try not to do that with you, but I had, oh, to, get, no, that's I fine. had to get that's a Bullwinkle right. out of you. <laughs> I, always, I, look, I always love doing all, all those voices. So, you know, it's like when I first started showing off in front of Skip years ago, you know, <laughs> he, I remember when Skip Craig said, uh, 
He said, the Bullwinkle, he said, you're really good, but can you do Boris? And I went, he's get crashing moose again, mister. <laughs> you should record an entire script. You know, if there's like, <laughs> like if there's an unproduced script out there or something like that, you know, and do all the voices. I don't know if you could do Natasha. And I Rocky. did a 30 second one for Daryl Ben Sinners. When, when Daryl did his book, he asked me to do the voices for a, an internet commercial. And uh, so I had to had to very quickly do the narrator and suddenly go into Bullwinkle. Then board is bad enough. And then then and Dudley do right parties. And it was all in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only um, thing that rivals is like Dan Castellaneta. He did a, a track once where he did like five Simpsons voices. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I have a quick yeah. question, by the way. I know that we're getting we're running late, but um, right. when you um, when Daryl's book, book first came out, did you finally did did you like um, what did you think about when it first came out? Because I thought it was awesome. well, I, I knew he was going to do it because he contacted me um, about artwork, and yeah. and I was frustrated with my own book because. Um, it was decided by St. Martin's Press that they were going to do my book the way they did it. And I, I gave them a lot of images to choose from and I gave them my choices, which they used in the book. And, and I could have killed them because the 50 that they used in my book, they lost or somebody stole them. So they were one of a kind pieces, including a great frontispiece photo of Bill Scott that Bill Scott had autographed to me when right. I was um, very young. But anyway, I still had tons and tons of stuff from my collection over the years and I was able, if you look in the back of Daryl's book, you'll see my name on like maybe 75 different pictures that I contributed to his book. Mm-hmm. So no, I was, I was, I was very happy. It was almost like the book I wanted to do with color and all that was finally going to come out. So. I, Cause I remember reading it and I remember also reading your book because I remember, I think I read your book when I was about 14, 15, maybe. But right. I remember reading. Me too. Um, but yeah. I remember. Um. um but I remember reading the um the book and I'm like, you know, your book is more like this book is more like like profiling the individual artists and directors, but your right. book was more like also even more focused. There was also that, but more even more so focused on writers, mm-hmm. the writers and the actors and right and because like the like the background artists and all of those and the people in Mexico are all profiled individually in Daryl's book. Yeah, I don't think we had that in your book, which made it like a like like the companion piece to it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned a lot of the people in the credits because I, I found out little facts about them. There's a lot of them who'd passed away from people like Bill Hertz, who by that point was still alive. I think he had already passed away by the time Daryl started his book. So I was fortunate enough to get to some of those people before. But um, I think it was great having his book because it was like uh, at least you could see one sample of each of the artist's own artwork yeah. and finally say, aha, now I understand which person did the the most fractured fairy tales. And, and of course it was Sam Clayberger really was one right. person who was really created a J Ward look <clears throat> in those cartoons. I think um, I know that Harry McCracken's book article on, on the, um, the statue, the, the statue. Yeah. I provided him a lot of June stuff because I have right. all of everything, all of June's operation loudmouth collection. Right. Yeah. I, I am. I'm the one who has all of it. Uh, well, I got a set of it from Skip years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have all of June's. Like it just was. They would say like you know here it's like I also have some of her fractured flickers scripts right. and all of that stuff too. Because mm-hmm. I guess heritage when heritage chose what they wanted and what they didn't want, they didn't want right. the Operation Labmount stuff because they didn't think it was worth anything. So June's uh, niece right. gave it to me. Right. But, um, so 
Basically, <clears throat> it was all it was all part of the whole Jay Ward saga, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I love it that I love the um the artwork they did for Blackshirt Flickers, where it just oh randomly, yeah, random. But there's there was some kind of filthy stuff in those in the early <laughs> in the early ones because if you like, well, who are, who are the heroes of Blackshirt Flickers? And one of them would be like this little tiny photo on the bottom of Hitler, and then and then there's right. Kennedy. And Reagan and yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you see like, like if you freeze frame it um, at one point for like two frames, Jay Wood and Bill Scott are caricatured coming out of a revolving yeah. door in that opening. Mm. Yeah, I'll look at that again. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, <laughs> lovely to uh, finally catch up with you two as a team, and uh, and yeah. most enjoyable. And um, I'm sure we'll uh, cross paths with this Zoom technology uh, several times in the future. Yes. All um, right. And thank you, Camden, for being on the show. And that pretty much wraps up another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Keith Scott and Camden Spees, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 196 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.